Today's show is brought to you by Rosetta Stone. Check them out at www.rosettapodcast.com slash holybackboard. That's www.rosetta podcast.com slash holybackboard. Let's go! Alright everybody, welcome to the 113th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, here in Rip City, and I got my man Sage chilling in uh, Southern Oregon, and you have now arrived at the realm of the real, where the real can chill, and that's what we are for Blazers Podcasting. I don't know what that was, but I really like that. Welcome to the realm of the real, where the real can chill. You like it? Did you just come up with that on the fly? I got a little help thinking of it, but as I was shopping for dinner today, I was like, welcome to the realm of the whale, where the whale can chill. All right, I like it. (laughs) Was that just on the fly, or did you hear it from a a hip-hop song? I don't know, I was just, we're the Realist Trailblazers podcast, and... The people that, you know, you know, we're recording right now, and one day we'll be recording in the same place, and that will be the realm of the real. I like it. But yeah, man. Uh, I'm happy to be recording with you, bro. It's It's been a whole week, man. It, it's Every week that there's more, the Blazers lose more than they win, it's like, oh, I, I need to talk to my boy about the, this week, see what he thinks about what's going on in Blazers Nation. And rips it. I know, they're... There's a, a little good news and bad news going on right now. Good news is we're, we're blessing your ears right now with another episode. The bad news is we have the same amount of wins as we did when we recorded last week. So, as you know, Portland, in really the home stretch of, of their schedule, arguably the toughest road trip of the year, but have dropped three straight, all on the road, all in Texas. 115-109 to Dallas, 96-94 to Houston, 116-105 to San Antonio. Sage, let's kick things off with the Dallas game because I think all of Rip City right now kind of just wants to strangle this team. And it all started with that Memphis loss after beating Oklahoma City and New Orleans, which Dame did not play. And then they kind of did the same thing where they stubbed their toe and they couldn't get, they were their own worst enemy. I don't know how you lose to two teams in the span of of less than seven days that are trying to lose. They had no intentions of wanting to win that game. They were pulling starters. Dirk didn't play the fourth. J.J. Barea, who was murdering us on that high pick and roll, which we will get into, did not play the fourth. Harrison Barnes was ice cold. But yet somehow, Sage, some way, Portland finds a way to give up 115 points to the Dallas Mavericks. Oh man, Yogi Ferrell needs to send the Portland Trailblazers a fruit basket, bro. He can afford it now with the contract that we gave him based on the the (laughs) one performance last year, and then he he contributes a whole bunch in this game. He, He loves playing against us, man. It was essentially the Dallas game last year in Portland that got him his guaranteed contract. And, you know, how does he thank us, Sage? 
He shoots 6 for 9, 3 of 5 from downtown, pours in 15 points off the bench. Dallas, as a team, shot 39% from 3, 17 of 44. They had guys named Maxi Kleber, and if you didn't know, there was another Harrison twin. This one's Aaron. He played in the game as well. Um, Kyle Collinsworth? Who the fuck is Kyle Collinsworth? I mean, they have some motherfuckers who I just have never heard of. And, uh, it, and, and you watch college basketball legitimately. You watch college basketball, and you don't know who these players are. They got a bunch of WTF, who are these guys, players, man. Like, I I, I don't understand it, but hey, I'm sure that uh, Coach Carlisle can coach us into being a winning team, man. And this is my gripe with, with Terry Stotts. I know he is the apple of Rip City's eye, and... For good reason. I do think he is a top 10 coach. I think he warrants some coach of the year um, nomination or, or honors. But here's what separates the elite coaches from, yeah, that guy's a really good coach. Getting your team to focus against a subpar opponent, raising it so you're not playing your opponent, you're playing yourself, and holding your team accountable. I think for all the benefits that comes with Terry Stotts being a player's coach and the chemistry that the players have with the coaching staff, the drawback is he doesn't know when to put his foot down. And I don't think we've seen that enough this year because, Sage, Portland, for whatever reason, thought it was okay to continue to shoot the three-point shot 40 times. The 10 of 40 from beyond the arc when we had a decisive advantage down low with Yusuf Nurkic, just like the Memphis game, Sage, it was like a bad dream. It was deja vu. Nurk was 7 of 8, had 15 points, 13 boards, and nobody was stopping him down low. Yet, for whatever reason, Al Farouk Aminu was shooting the ball 13 times. Zach Collins is shooting the ball 9 times. You know, Myers and Pat Connerson combined to take 10, 10 field goal attempts. And I'm not, one, I'm not blaming Zach. I'm not blaming, you know, Pat or Myers. They all shot 50% or above. Um, In Zach's case, it was 44%. So the bench actually performed decently well. My point is, Yusuf Nurkic needs more FGAs. And the, the thought process was, well, Baz and CJ didn't get him the ball in Memphis. Well, Dame was back. And yes, Dame and CJ both had eight assists apiece. The, whether it's Dame calling the plays or whether it's Terry, and I've heard it's Dame, you know, more so this year than last. Portland needs to find a way to get this man the ball. I know he had five turnovers, but for him to have eight shots, Sage, this this has been Portland's season in a nutshell. We said Nurk was our X factor coming into the year, but every time we lose a game we shouldn't lose. Nurk's fingerprints are all over it. We want to talk about that Boston game a few weeks ago when Terry pulls him out for the last eight minutes. You want to talk about that Brooklyn game at home when he doesn't play the entire fourth quarter and Biggs feast on that Brooklyn front court. These past these these two losses to Memphis and Dallas all have the same blueprint to them. We are not feeding our beast enough, and people, and maybe myself included, want to know why maybe he's not as engaged as he should be. We're not giving him the opportunity to be engaged. You look at his stats, he was seven for eight. Like he got he got biz, man. Like no one was really consistent outside of him and I guess the bench guys. 
it, it's so weird trying to get him involved in the offense. Like, I trust at the start of the game, we're going to get him four to six pretty easy points off a of pick and roll. And then once the uh, the opposing team tries to, like, make one rotation change in that pick and roll, we go away from that pick and roll all game. Like, it, we get scared like that Nurk isn't going to be able to score over a point guard that rotates from the, 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 the weak side three. And then we just say, screw it, we're not going to run the play that's the most run play in all of basketball for half the game. It's weird. And you mentioned the, the bench playing well, and they did. If we look at Dame, CJ, and Chief, they shot a combined 17 of 51. I mean that's that that's the that's the game right there when you're when your guys aren't shooting well and then random players like Maximilian contribute or Ugh man. The rest of the Blazers shot twenty two of thirty six. Oh well over sixty percent. So here's my here's here's my problem. Why are we not sharing the sugar? as Michael Holton would say. And I've, I've gone on wax saying I'm cool with Damon CJ shooting themselves out of a funk. And that still is, is true, true to form. But I do think there is some, there is something to show when we're able to find guys who, who are playing well. Like why, why aren't we running more plays for players who actually have have a hot streak? Like Shabazz was on this game. Why why wasn't he playing more? I think Terry is a little too stubborn, and I, for one, I would never bench bench Dame. But CJ has been very hit or miss. And the one thing I will say about Dame is if his shot's not falling, he is still getting to the free throw. Yeah, he's line attacking was, probably even more so. He was 15 for 15. So, again, Dame really did no wrong. Like, yes, he shot 30%, and that's that's not great, but he still put up 29 points on 20 shots because he's getting to that line. You know, eight assists to zero turnovers. You're not going to find any complaints from me from, from Damian Lillard's performance. But I just think there needs to be a little bit more balance in, in this offense. And I was really, you know, after the game, and we'll talk about after the San Antonio game, I was really thinking, like, it feels like Aminu is shooting the ball a lot lately. And so I went to to his game logs and just was doing, um, you know, a little math and checking out his field goal attempts and his three-point attempts and their percentages during that 13-game win streak and the, the 10 games that have followed to see if there's there's any correlation between what he's between my perceived, you know, beliefs that he's shooting the ball too much. And so, since the winning streak, the 10 games, he's put up 9.3 field goal attempts per game at a 40% clip. 5.9 threes per game at a tw- at a 29% clip. And and here's the here's the kicker. During that 13 game win streak, he shot less. The overall percentage was the same at 39% but he shot two less field goals a game and he shot two uh, 1.6 less threes per game. But here it is. He shot 38% from three during that 13 game win streak. So my takeaways there are teams are keying in on Damon CJ. 
they're really going to force Aminu to beat them, which is why his field goal attempts are up. And those, that three-point percentage. I mean, we, we saw him bail us out against Miami, against uh, Detroit, and against Cleveland with major threes down the stretch. But you called it. He has really regressed probably even further away from the mean than we really want to admit. So, and, go ahead. how many threes is he shooting a game this year? I didn't do that. I'll I just check. did the... I'll check. Because it seems like Al Farouk has taken Alan Crabb's role and shot a little bit more from three. Because Alf- uh, because Alan Crabb hit, hit four three, shot four threes a game. Al Farouk's well, up to 4.9. Yeah, so... The highest in his career. So, like, we're taking... Say what you want from... About uh, Alan Crabb, but he is a much better shooter than Al Farouk Aminu. And so we replaced essentially what Alan Crabb did shooting threes with Chief. And well, actually, Alan Crabb's not shooting the ball well from three this year. No, no, no. But like the role of uh, Chief shoots five a game. Alan Crabb shot, uh, I think, like two or three a game. Man, like that. He he's up to shooting numbers a lot. And if teams are forcing him to to make that shot or attempt that shot, like they they've keyed on. In, on a pretty humongous weakness for us if Chief isn't hitting. Yeah, so last year Alan Crabb only attempted 3.8 so about a 3 less but he shot it uh, 6-7% to higher. This year Alan Crabb is shooting 37, Chief shooting 37, um, AC shooting about 2 more 3s per game. So yes, I do get get your, your point that instead of Pat Connaughton kind of replacing AC's role it's been cheap, and for most I, I of the year, it. it's been cool. Like he's been hitting way, way more. But if teams are forcing you to shoot it, like that—that's what they've studied. They'd rather have Al Farouk shoot than than CJ or Dame. My question is, how many threes a game would you be comfortable with Chief shooting? Three a game, just three. And if he's hot, if he hits Keep two going. of three, do more. He is not the player I want shooting out of a cold slump. And I know the math is telling me that he shot 37, 38% this year from three. But Sage, believe me, every time he shoots the ball, I have no fucking clue. No, there's no, there's no, you have no idea if he's, if he's going to make it, miss it. Like his shot is so hot or cold. And again, this wasn't a, a bash Aminu segment of the podcast because he's played fantastic basketball this year. More times than not, matched up against a bigger, stronger core, holding his own on the defensive end. He is able to you know, finish in traffic um, with his athleticism. But really, after looking at those numbers and seeing the overall percentages stay similar, and but that means like the three-point shot really should be the only thing he takes. Like, just spot up and shoot or, or dunk the ball. Like, sometimes he'll, he'll dribble and he'll pull up, and, and, and that's not the shot. He really just needs to be a catch-and-shoot. Um, or slasher. Specialist, yes. But it's also on Terry Scott's to make adjustments if he's not hitting. Well, I think that the whole, the whole like, narrative about Afaruk was, like, we give him the green light so he feels all this confidence, but... Does he is he really deserving of this green of a light to jack up shots? I don't I think mean, so. I, I think it's got to be a privilege. I mean, it's like if 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 I work from home 
and I get my shit done, my job believes that I'm capable of working from home and they're okay with that level of trust. But if I start to, you know, miss deadlines, you know, not call into meetings, then that privilege is going to get revoked. And I know it's not an exact apples to apples comparison, but at the same time, we have shooters on this team. We have players who also need the basketball, <laughs> use of Nurkic for one, that aren't getting it because teams are trapping Dame, they're trapping CJ, and Chief is, is the first outlet, and the ball's going up. Like, maybe dribble into the defense or swing the ball around the perimeter because, like, we don't need him to shoot the ball every time he's open. But he, you know he does. Like, it, because that, that's, that, 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 that green, yeah, because of the green light. Like, I guarantee you, he did not do this shit in New Orleans when I watched him for all those years. This was not his game. Like, so he's gotten this, this, this privilege from Terry Stotts. Like, I trust you shoot it. And for most of the year, it's been like, that's been a rewarding, uh, it's been rewarding for the team, but, I mean, that regression to the mean is a motherfucker. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, we are not where we are in the Western Conference without Chief Aminu's contributions this year. No, he's our best defender, our starting power forward, or probably our best rebounder. However, with that said, we are basically rolling the dice on Aminu's performance, and that will tell us how far Portland goes in the playoffs. And to me, as a Trailblazer fan, that is a scary proposition. Because mm-hmm. just because you just you really don't know what Aminu you're going to get, mm-hmm. he could win you a game, but he could also lose you too. But didn't he do that on. with the Clippers? Didn't he, in that Clippers series he hit like nine threes yeah. in a game or something like that? And I mean, he was a humongous part, but like. Hot streaks end, you know. Sometimes you're really just a thirty. You're just an average shooter, because I mean he doesn't shoot enough to be like this thirty eight percent shooting or whatever he is for the year is like what he is. It's literally you miss one extra game and you're thirty two percent shooter, not a thirty seven. It's not the 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 amount of shots. It's it's just I don't know what his role is might need to change a little if he isn't hitting. But let's move on to, although it was a loss, an entertaining loss, and it was a game, so the Dallas game was compounded by the fact that Sala Mejri's big-ass foot, the biggest goon in the entire NBA, just had to be there when Damian Lillard landed and basically messed up Dame's ankle. Dame sits against Houston. Of course Houston decides not to rest a single soul, and we're basically going into, you know, a fist fight. They've got brass knuckles. We've got nothing. <laughs> and for 45, 44 minutes of that game, that's what it felt like. We were down 17. I, you know, I was kind of watching, working on the computer, doing, you know, a little work. Because I, I knew we weren't going to win without Damon Lord. Um, it would have been, it would have been a miracle. It would have been the most unthinkable victory of the season. But a lineup of Wade Baldwin, Pat Connaughton, Caleb Swanigan, Jake Lehman, and Giorgio's Papagiannis, for the first time as a Portland Trailblazer, stepped onto the court and had the most unintentional, maybe unthinkable, 17-0 run that you have ever witnessed. Have you ever seen something crazier? I mean, that, that just, that blew my mind, Sage. 
the Rockets had the the sixty plus win Rockets had every starter on the court too. No, I, I, well, Chris Paul wasn't on there during that run, was he? Because it was yes. James. Oh, because because it looked like it was James Harden. We actually hedged on bigger roles, and it, he kicked it to the corner guy at the three, and then PJ uh, Green and uh, Lua Balmute just bricked the open three pointer. Like it, it was, it was nothing but that on the rocket side. Pick and roll, hedge by the Blazers. He would kick it to the open shooter and brick it, and then the Blazers capitalized on that on that like, for seventeen straight points. I really like how our backup point guards are dogs and will get up into, you know, your star guard. Like, Wade Baldwin legitimately got into James Harden's head. You don't see the, most likely the MVP of the league, give a shit about a guy that's fighting. Like, Wade Baldwin is at the point of his career where it's like, he has to bust his ass every single second he's in the game. Because he has no safety net. He is playing for his career right now. So he's busting his ass. And you let this dude who's busting his ass get in your head and, like, stay there. Like, you saw Harden push off him, get angry, try and do dirty shit, like, hold on to the jersey while he's dribbling. Like, you you don't see James do that to, like, star, star defenders. But you let little old Wade Baldwin get in your head, man. Our guards are dogs. Like, our backup guards are dogs. No, that was the takeaway. I wasn't even mad about that loss because I think Wade Baldwin showed that he could not only be an X factor for Portland in the postseason, but potentially as, you know, a key member of, of this team moving forward. His size and length at the position, his ability to guard not only ones and twos, you know, my my former probably, colleague probably small threes too with that wingspan. It's it's a crazy ass wingspan. Yeah, my former colleague Demir said it Shout was like shades him. shades <clears throat> of Avery Bradley, and I thought the comparison was spot on because they both have kind of that set shot on offense. You know, Wade is a little, I think he's a little bit bigger, but he's got um, he's got the point guard handle, but his defense was just suffocating, and mm-hmm. I think. That's what you need to combat, I think, the the return of the guard. And, you know, in today's NBA, everyone feels like they can handle the ball, they can shoot the three. You know, there's so many shooters on the court at all times, so many so many versatile players, but they're usually, you know, six five, six five and under. And you need perimeter defense more so than ever in today's league. Mm-hmm. And to have a guy who showed that that could become a calling card that was worthy of a loss times infinity, in, in my opinion, because we yearned for the days of a perimeter defender. I, I mean, we're 113 episodes in, and every time we talk about what does this team need, perimeter defender is one of the top, probably two things we always call out, and Portland really hasn't had that role since Less. you go back to the 12 deep Blazers of the 2000 era when you got Greg Anthony, you have Stacey Ogman, and you have Scottie Pippen roaming that perimeter. I mean, it's been a long time since we had a ball hawk out there. And again, I'm not saying Wade Baldwin is of that that essence or is there right now, but we would be foolish to say there's not potential there. And, uh, and I think yeah, that's yeah. what we're excited about is the potential of him becoming that type of defender on the wing. I, I I'm 
I think that he has a chance to be a good defender. I like that he's athletic. I mean, I saw some really athletic moves from him. Um, I would love... I don't think he's going to uh, get that much many offers in the open market, so we'll have him for a few more years and get I to try... I think Roland actually has an option they can pick up. Really? Yeah, I was debating this on Twitter, and I found that I think there is a... There's a, a yeah, I think he's a non-guaranteed contract, so I think we can pick his option up just like with Papa Giannis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, oh, yeah, and then it's going to be... He's going to want the... Uh, that 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 security of that ex that 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 extra year on his salary, so he'll take it. It's not like he's high in demand because he's had two games of playing well. He, I, I think it might be a Pat Connaughton situation where we either where he has no choice whether we we give it to him or not. Mm. Yeah, but I hope I hope that's a scenario. I haven't been able well, to get anything concrete. Remember when you Eric and I were on here? And we were talking about the that 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 lightning rod that will you know boost us up. It might be Wade Baldwin like playing tough defense and you know showing his athleticism. That is that that X factor that you know that lightning in the bottle for these next two games to bring us to that next level. I really think we're going to need him in the playoffs. Yeah, and I know that's crazy to think about if we would have talked on this podcast two weeks ago. But this team needs to start figuring out ways to lock up teams. Portland's defense has gone to shit since that 13-game win streak, and with the way the team has just severely regressed from the three-point line, I believe during that win streak we were maybe top two, top three percentage from downtown and we completely flipped you know i think we were still winning some games but our shooting from from deep has been one of the worst in in the nba and yes we ride or die with that that perimeter shooting but at the same time you you can't give up 115 to the san antonio spurs you can't give up 100 plus to the mavericks trying to lose like these are things that you cannot do um Sage, what were your thoughts on, on Terry Stotts leaving in that same group on the final possession to guard Chris Paul? Well, did... Okay, they put CG in on the next the next play, right? Okay. I yo, That that was the team that got us to this position. I, I'm fine with rolling with it. It gives so those you, guys confidence. So you... I am... My philosophy is yes, leave them in as long. Like I'm glad he let them in to to get that comeback. They they deserved it. But when you have six point one seconds left to go, defense isn't something that you know. Oh, we got to work for a great shot on offense. Oh, this guy's been hot. You know, this defense is just you either play good defense or not. So to me, I was a little. I mean, again, it was hard to be peeved because we were down seventeen just three and a half minutes ago. But knowing the standings, knowing how the West was, and how badly we needed a victory. I'm not the lie. Like looking at it now, and even that same night watching the replays, I'm kind of peeved that Aminu and at least Zach Collins or, or Nurkic. Yeah, I in probably would have subbed out uh, Biggie if it, if we're if we're being real. I would have subbed out Biggie. Yeah, there was no rim protection, and they knew Chris Paul was going to get the ball, and you know Wade did a good job, but then like Pat didn't fully commit, and then you saw Biggie in in the background like. 
he yeah he kind of stayed on his man too and, it, and you know yes it was a tough shot by a future hall of famer but i think we could have made that situation even more difficult for the houston rockets but um Deep down, did you want to see Dame? I know he wasn't active, but when he was, you know, saw that he was dressed, I was like, just put him in for point eight seconds. This would be the petty meter would go out absolutely out, uh, crazy. The pettiness bro. would, I mean, just for the fact that you Rocket fans, they're so they're sensitive s- about this shit, man. Oh god, it, it's the ultimate troll. Like it, it's just the point nine. Brandon did it point eight. Like it just would have been another chapter in the legacy of beating the Rockets with under a second to go. Um, when CJ shot that, I thought he had a good look. Um, I was hoping in my heart of hearts that it was going to drop, but... But, I mean, it, CJ it hadn't didn't. played for how many minutes? Like No, he, and CJ was, CJ was ice. Yeah, he, I, was, he wasn't in rhythm. I honestly was, would have trusted Wade Baldwin, because at least he was, like, getting his shots up. Or, I mean, with point eight though, and no Dame, I'm, I'm giving it to CJ. Like, you live and yes, die he, by that man? In yeah, that situation, like, yeah, he yeah. was seven of twenty-five and, and two of nine from three, but you know that's still our dude. And you know, there's other things I think CJ should do less of, like sometimes shoot the ball. Oh, I Dave's thought you were going to say pound, pound the rock in the in the high post, but <laughs> that too. Like, <laughs> I think I don't like to be hypercritical of some players because I, I really value their contributions to the team. CJ is one of them because outside of that suspension for the first game of the year, I think he's only missed one game. I think of every player in the entire NBA, he's traveled the most miles on the court. So, you know, he's he busts his ass. Yeah, he busts his ass, but he does stall the offense out. And if his ISO jumper isn't working sometimes like, that really throws a wrench into our offense. And, you know, he shot the ball 25 times. You know, my mind kind of goes and, and looks and says, well, man, what if a couple other guys got mm-hmm. the ball? Because nearly everyone else shot the ball effectively besides Shabazz Napier, who was two of nine. Nearly everyone else was over 500, over over 50% from, from the field. I, th- I think you got to be hyper. You got to be able to criticize you're you're good players man like cj didn't have it going on tonight that night Eh, so what he's gonna have it going on the next night hopefully you know hope so i mean he's i think of every i mean we talk about chief being high variance if we're keeping it keeping it real cj's been extremely high variance um lately because you know he was seven of 18 against dallas 7-25 7-25 against Houston, but again, at Memphis, 16-25, 42 points, the reason we're in the game. He wins us that Oklahoma City game, 14-24. of um, He kept us in that Boston game, he's 12-22. of I mean, he's, he, then he goes, you know, 3-19 of at New Orleans. So, there are, when we do our playoff preview later this week, Sage, there's so many X-Factors, I don't think I can even keep it to 5 with this team oh, right yeah. now. Oh, yeah, wow. I mean, and then with all of the, all of the, the 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 craziness that could happen in the next few days, man. Like we're gonna need some a, a little while to to digest what's gonna happen in the in this first round. But and so to recap recap the week, Portland went to San Antonio. Damian Lillard made his return. 
he did a fantastic job, 33 points on 50% shooting from the field, including six trays, but uh, did commit seven turnovers, and Portland had no answer for a manage nobly run in the fourth quarter. He's 67 years old, but put eight straight points on us by himself. You know, this is how I feel about the Spurs. They are going to play their B-plus ball the entire game. They're not going to beat themselves. And if you play anything less than your A ball or your A minus ball, you're gonna lose. But if you play if but if you play past them, they're just gonna say, "Hey, good job! You beat our they beat what we will provide." And in that fourth quarter, whether it be refs not calling fouls or or what what have you, we didn't play our A plus A A, a game against them in that fourth quarter, and they made that run. I mean, what was frustrating about that game is all day, I felt like we were going to win. You know, Dame was coming back. We had just lost to Houston and Dallas. Like, we knew we need a victory to secure home court advantage. The Spurs were reeling. They had lost two straight in Los Angeles. Yes, I know they have the best home record in the league. But I just had a feeling we were going to win. I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to jinx it. And then that fourth quarter run by Ginobili hit. I mean, Rudy Gay was hitting shots that he hasn't hit since his his rookie year. It felt like <laughs> yeah, his Memphis days. I mean, they they hit a lot of tough shots. I felt like up until that fourth quarter, we played pretty good defense. They were like they were just hitting a lot of hand in the face jumpers, um, and it just kind of felt like okay, it might be their night. But again. I think we can kind of look at the Blazers and and say, where did it all go wrong? I mean, I, I think defensively, we we let it slip away in that fourth quarter. I, I feel like we did not get to the foul line, and I think a lot of that could be put on the officials. San Antonio gets called for the fewest amount of fouls in, in the association, and Portland only attempted 11 free throws. Um, we didn't go hog wild from three, put up 28 which is a pretty routine number for us. And, you know, San Antonio, I and before I, I kind of go into this, I don't think the officials cost us the game. I don't think there were a ton of egregious calls. I just think there were little bits here and there where you just realized you weren't going to get any beneficiary of any call. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, when I felt like, oh, we're not going to win, is when Manu just had his explosion. When he started getting busy, I was like, oh, that's an added wrinkle I wasn't expecting. I don't think we're going to win this game. I mean, that that, that 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 Spurs team isn't talented in, like, comparison. Like, on paper, they're not as talented as us. But when you have the, that, that culture and the, 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 the way they rotate defensively, not making mistakes, not killing themselves. That they executed us in that fourth quarter, and you know, with the defense not playing well, it was really head scratching to see Wade Baldwin not play in the second half at all. He only tallied seven and a half minutes, and yes, I know we picked up three fouls, but he was Manu was cooking all night long. Dejounte Murray was getting into the lane all game long. Why not put one of your better perimeter defenders in there? 
I remember vividly him getting into Manu's ass a few times. Like, the first part of the play, he played it perfectly. Then he got a little too excited and picked up a foul. But, like, I remember him making Manu's life pretty hard for a few possessions. Was was it was it Pat getting those minutes, or was it Shabazz? Shabazz played 21 minutes, had 8 points, 5 rebounds. Uh, Pat Connaughton played 13 minutes, did not score two rebounds. That's it. So I think I think Wade should be getting all of Pat's minutes. I I agree with you, but I have one caveat to that. If Pat's hitting threes, I would when when if I don't I mean like like if, if we're being real, Wade Baldwin's been. I mean I know he's played. I know it. No no I know he's played three games, but. I think he's shooting like over seventy percent from three. I mean, he only takes like one or two a game, and he's been making them. So I'm not saying he's a better three point shooter, but right now he's playing. I think way more within himself than maybe any other Blazer named Damian Lillard. I, I, I think Wade's playing better basketball than Pat, but there's always that like. I think because of what Pat's done earlier in the year, there's that that fear of him getting hot. It, I would say the first rotation when you have that that fourth guard in, you put Pat in, and if he isn't hitting or isn't playing well, you go Wade immediately. I cannot disagree more. Really? Um, yeah, from what I've seen, I want to give Wade a shot. Pat's Pat's had his chance. I feel like he the last quarter of the season has been ice cold from the field. It has not been kind to him at all. I mean, really, the the last two minutes of that Houston game where he had that amazing dunk, the and one, that game, that game tying drive, I was like, where is that? Where has that Pat been? Because he's been floating around the, the three point arc and you know jacking up some, some tough shots. Um, and right now, with what I've seen from this team, yes, I've talked about three point shooting being key, but give me a perimeter defender, somebody who is going to. Force turnovers, get us fast break points, which we do not do a good job of no, doing. No, we don't do a good any day of the week, no. and you know, I feel like Wade's just going to give us a better chance at producing over the bench. I mean, we look at teams like Utah. Why are they doing so well? Well, they play good defense. Mm-hmm. Like defense should travel. Defense should always be consistent, and you know, that's. I saw him lock down James Harden. And I know it was a small sample size, but this dude's the MVP of the year. This dude makes a lot of good defenders look, look silly. silly. Yeah, absolutely. And he played him very well. And just as a fan, I want to see more of that. I want to see if if this guy is actually going to be Jermaine O'Neal, or is this guy going to be, you know, Sean Respert, Tracy Murray, some guy who had potential but just didn't live up to mm. it. So that that's where I'm coming from. But uh, before we move on, shout out to Myers Leonard. He's really played some nice basketball being thrust into the lineup with Ed Davis being injured. I thought he had his finest performance against San Antonio. 13 minutes, 2 of 2 from deep, uh, 9 points, 4 boards, a steal. Um, he had a really, nice offensive rebound. Really played good basketball. And I think this is... I think this is the best we've he's looked in a couple of years, and you know people may I I still get really upset when people mock him whether online or at the games. He did not choose to pay himself. Some other person gave him that contract. 
don't be mad at him. I think the Meyer slander is, is old, it's tired material, frankly it's bullshit, and he has always stayed mentally ready, and I think that that says a lot about him as a person, because he's been thrust to the end of the bench, relegated to a cheerleader, and not only has he done that well, but when his name's been called, he goes out there and he plays hard. And as a fan, at the end of the day, that's all you really ask for, is the people you're cheering on to give it 100%. And I would, it'd be hard for me to, to go out there and say Myers has not done that because I think that's a lie. He has put it all on the line. And, you know, for his sake, I think as a human being, as, as common decency, let's knock that shit off. Let, let's quit, you know, talking shit about Myers because I, I think it's, 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 it was never cool in the first place, but it's definitely ran its course. Well, how, this is how I feel about, like, I know he's going to give, all of the effort that he possibly can on every possession that he plays. But as a critical observer, he definitely has his weaknesses. I don't, I, I try not to fall in that, like, Myers is awful, he's the reason we suck, blah, 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 blah. But looking at it as like a, oh, he missed that, that coverage, missed that. I miss that Davis a whole bunch because thrusting him into that lineup well, he does provide some good things, like he is powerfully built. He would guard those power bigs better than most players on this team would. He definitely has his deficiencies, and it it, it makes me miss Ed a whole lot more. So he could he he has that 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 lateral quickness to guard players in this league. Um, you know, Ed Davis has, I think. You can't measure Ed's value to this team in a box score because I was reading Rip City 2 today and someone pointed out we're not only getting those second chance points, though those hustle plays, those offensive rebounds when Ed's not there, but Zach Collins has not produced like he used to playing alongside Ed Davis. And oh, yeah, so that's, that's something I never considered was that chemistry getting broken up yep. and how Zach is having to transition to playing alongside someone else. I don't think he feels as confident without Ed on the floor. And Ed's you know, a great he, security blanket for he, it, Zach. That's a great term. He is exactly a security blanket for, you know, our, our young rookie. Mm-hmm. And when Ed got hurt, I was like, okay, we'll be fine. You know, we've got, you know, Swanigan can step in and get those minutes, you know, even Myers. But really... Ed is a dog on the board. Absolutely, that we just don't have that when he's not there. So with him just missing these you know, three or four games, has made me want to resign him that much more because our young players aren't ready. No, They're, we we need that veteran presence of Ed Davis right now. What he does better, he does better than than what they do. I mean, Ed Davis, like, if you're going to look at statistics, like, his rebound, offensive rebounding percentage is, like, at the point where you assume players' defensive rebounding percentages. Like, his, he goes, he's one of the best rebounders, especially offensively, in the league. Like, I don't know, I, there may be some, but he's in the top 10% of offensive rebounders. So, taking that away and replacing it with a mixture of, Zach Collins, who isn't comfortable in the role without Ed Davis, Myers Leonard, and Biggie Swanigan, 
you see how much we miss him. Ed Davis will go out of his zone to grab a tough rebound to start off an offensive possession, and then we'll kick it to to Dame. You don't see our other guys do that, and to say that you know you could see player X do that in the future is crazy because what Ed's providing right this second is the elite of the elite at what he does best. And it looks like Ed Davis will return to the Trailblazers tomorrow night against the Denver Nuggets, and we will get right into that preview right after these words from our wonderful sponsors. For you, the listeners of the Holy Backboard Podcast, Rosetta Stone is offering a 24-month subscription for less than $8 a month. Rosetta Stone continuously sets the standards and learning to enable people to change their world, and its dedication to improve learning by making it more effective, accessible, and engaging. To try Rosetta Stone today, go to www.rosettapodcast.com slash holybackboard. Again, that's www.rosettapodcast.com slash holybackboard for your special offer to Rosetta Stone. everybody Dustin and Sage here on this wonderful Sunday night it has been a beautiful uh, spring day Blazers have two games remaining in the 2018 season both against Northwest Division rivals and both huge absolutely huge they carry immense playoff implications at the moment the Trailblazers are still in the third position just one game ahead of the Utah Jazz at 48 and 32. However, there's a lot of teams lurking at, at 34 losses. Mm-hmm. I have not done the math. I don't even want to look at that math. But I still think the lowest Portland could fall is fifth. If, yeah. Given tiebreakers, if, if they lose the remaining two games, that still would be a nightmare scenario for me because we've, what have we heard from Terry Stotts? You know, really, 50 games, home court advantage. That's all we want. Well, We've had that cushion. You know, we have that 13-game streak. However, we've lost four of six since that streak. And, you know, we did give ourselves that cushion, but we've stubbed our toe twice against Memphis and Dallas. You know, had some unfortunate mm-hmm. unfortunate injuries to, to Damian, to, to Mo and Ed. And now we're in a spot where we only have ourselves to look, look at. Um, there's really no hoping that other teams are, are going to lose. Mm-hmm. And it's time for Portland to kind of take ownership of their own destiny again. You know, they, they've had it for for a while, but everyone just, when they looked at the playoff race, they would always cut it off at three and just assume Portland would have it there. Me being the, the pessimist and the Blazer fan of 28 years knew that nothing is locked in with this team until... It's mathematically impossible for us not to to be the third seed. I mm. knew the schedule coming up was going to be difficult, and that the West is just a bloodbath, and some teams can get hot. And the way it's bunched up right now, you lose a couple games, you could be out. Of you could be out. Yeah. So it's, my my what I've been thinking recently, and there's three games you could point at where we probably should have lost the two Golden State games. In that jazz game, when the why should why should we lose to the Golden State Warriors? No, but like, I think that we were the dogs in that streak, 
in those games. If we lost I mean, one we of the by like seventeen by both of them though. What I'm saying is, if we lost that those three the one of those games, we would be in such a worse predicament. That streak happened at the premium time to give us that little boost for this playoff this 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 end of season run. Yeah, because if uh, we dropped one of those games, man, we'd be we'd be in the in the. It ain't a guarantee that we're in the playoffs. Bunched up with Memphis, New Orleans, and OKC. It's true. We also beat New Orleans once. We beat OKC twice. I think we beat Minnesota. But that wasn't in that thirteen game. the The New Orleans and OKC wasn't in that streak, was it? We beat OKC once during that streak. Okay, but like, man, like that streak happened at the right time for us. But did we peak too soon? Maybe. I don't know. I think that I remember at that time, New Orleans was on a streak. They lost because AD got hurt. Then the uh, then Portland continued that streak. That three extra games. That those three extra games is what our cushion was until our losing streak. Like that that streak was really beneficial, man. And now Portland is just staring at. They're staring at their playoff fate, mm-hmm. and it, it. At least they control their destiny. You know, we play Denver and we play Utah. Statistically, you can throw the Denver game out, out of the books. Yes, if we win, we get at least the four seed. However, if New Orleans beats San Antonio, that gets us the four seed as well. But really, if, if you're looking at just one game that matters, it's Utah. Utah yeah. However, I don't think you want to go into that Utah game. You want some buffer. Yeah. Of four straight games, I, I just don't think you're going to feel good about yourself. Mm-hmm. Like mathematically, you know, you're just like, oh, you go on to the next game, like it's just another simulation. But you got to take, you know, player morale. You got to take confidence. You got to take all these intangibles, all these things you can't measure into account because that's going to affect how we perform on the hardwood. And I think the Denver game might be. The Denver game might decide if we beat Utah or not. And Absolutely. I Absolutely. I haven't really... I know Gary Harris is doubtful. Yeah, I don't think Gary Harris is going to play. Well, that, um, I mean, that doesn't matter as much because they got wings for days. But Denver, this, this is... This is, this, this is it. This is it, man. If they lose, they are mathematically eliminated from the postseason. They have won five straight games. They had miracle. They had a miracle finish against the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, they went on a homestand, they took care of business, they went to Los Angeles to, they just derailed the Clippers in, uh, basically an elimination game mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, and now they've, this is their final home game of the year. Portland was unfortunately tasked on this, this road trip with playing two of the top three most dominant teams on, on their home court. San Antonio is one, Denver is three. The mile high altitude has always given us problems. And Portland, I think they had their chance. It was in February, uh, excuse me, January 22nd. We lost 104-101. Jamal Murray kind of exploded. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Jamal Murray kind of exploded, and we just had no answer. For Portland to win this game, I think a couple of things are going to have to take place. One, they are going to have to assert their dominance early and often, down low with Yusuf Nurkic. When we beat the the Denver Nuggets this year, 
he completely destroyed Joker. Nikola Jokic. Yeah. When we had success with them last year to basically knock them out of the playoffs, it was Nurk Fever dominating them down low. I think Portland needs to go there and keep going to that well. We can't just go there and then completely forget about him. The next X factor is Jamal Murray. And I know it's not going to start out this way, but I would love it if Terry Stotts found a way to get Wade Baldwin in the game and defend him. That's your only goal you defend Jamal Murray. Make his life hell. Because he is such a talented scorer. I think he's he doesn't get as much respect as a guy as Devin Booker, but he's a guy that can win you a game. Easily. Just, Easily. And we saw that. We saw that back in January. I think if Portland can do those two things along with getting to the foul line, I think you have to take that crowd out of the game because they are they, they know what's at stake. This is essentially a playoff game mm-hmm. for the Denver Nuggets. And the one way to quiet a crowd down is to slow it up, get to the line, convert. Like it's called the charity strike. We lost the game in Memphis because we shot sixteen of twenty nine from the from from the from the free throw line. Absolutely. So, you know, I can't overstate how important th- th- this game is, just mentally, for Portland's psyche, you know, for morale. And, you know, last but not least, can you not get dominated by the high pick and roll? That has absolutely been our Achilles. It's been our bugaboo. We have not had an answer for it. J.J. Barea ran it with Dirk <laughs> like a clinic yeah. last week. Shit, um, Dwight Powell fucking caught two oops against us. I mean, uh, San Antonio was running it for days. So it, it's just Portland's going to need to treat that. They have to match Denver's urgency. They have to treat it as if we lose this game, we're not getting home court advantage. Yes, I know that's not the likely. Case, it's not likely, but, but you you have to treat it like that. You have to come out with as much. You have to be desperate. Mm-hmm. Like that's the only word I can think of. You just have to be desperate. You cannot want to. You cannot lose. You cannot accept that. I remember you saying last week that like you were reading that book about the Suns and. They rested their players, and it wasn't a good look to start the playoffs. I couldn't imagine starting a playoff series going 0 for 5 in my last five games of the season. Like, could you imagine the taste in the players' mouths if they're starting a playoff series versus whomever just losing five straight? Like, you got to have some positivity and some, like, confidence going into this playoff round or you're going to get beat down. Like, at least for the morale, you've got to win these games, man. And for, for beneficials, benefits you in the, the, the standings in the playoffs, but just as, like, a group of 15 guys, you got to be feeling good about your team and your situation. You can't, you can't lose two games straight. So I agree that Denver game is as important as that Jazz game, but... I can't help but think about, like, the thrill. Like, I'm worried about how we're going to stop Thrill Barton. And, I mean, shit, I don't think we've ever played against Paul Millsap this year. Yes. We did? Oh, the first game? Twice. The first two. The first okay. two. We played them early in the season twice in Portland. But that, I mean, shit. 
It, it's been a long time. They're like developing continuity. This game is important. And what's your X factor? <sighs> you think Portland gets it done? I mean, I, I love what you said about the the things, and I'll add thrill and Paul Millsap. But I, I think it's dictating how we play the game. I mean, you we talked about the high altitude and how that will play an advantage for Denver. I, I think if we play Blazers basketball with player movement uh, and uh, ball movement, and then Nurk has to be competitive against Joker. And I think we get the win. Oof. Positive Sage in the building. It's tough, so, man. I am so torn on this game. Damien earlier today posted an Instagram and he's like, the caption was, it's time to tap inwardly. I think if, to me, reading that, that means Dame as the first team All-NBA point guard that I believe he is, is going to say enough, like, hop on like we did in New Orleans, like we did in Phoenix, like we did in Los Angeles. Hop on, guys. You know, I'll, I'll take us. Everything's going to be okay. Dame will be our security blanket. He'll be the entire team's security blanket. He is the franchise security blanket. I think if, if Dame goes to 40-plus, we win. I think if he doesn't, we lose. I think it's as simple as that. I think it's it's going to have to be one of those games. We're not playing ball at the level where you know we can get a little bit here, a little bit there. Talent-wise, we are a team that we need our superstar to, mm-hmm. to just have a catastrophic performance in terms of what he's doing to the opposition. He's going to have to go nuclear. And I think he's going to have a big night. But I've seen a lot of shit as a Blazer fan, Sage. I, I, just, <laughs> I have a bad feeling about winning. I don't have a bad feeling about the game because I, I think it's going to be nip and tuck all the way towards the end. But, you know, Wilson Chandler always plays us tough. And whether it's fair or not, Denver needs this game more. And sometimes... They're going to be desperate, man. This is going to be... Like, I don't think... You know, when you look at the schedule and you look at at teams you're going to play down the stretch, this could not have worked out more poorly for the Trailblazers. Yeah, they're playing four damn good teams in the last... And specifically just this Denver game. They Denver should have been eliminated days ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that that's not where we're at. I think Portland's going to lose a close game, and I think it's all going to come down to to Utah on Wednesday in the Garden. Um, so in your scenario, they're 0 for 4 right now. Yep. And is it's it gonna, is in Salt Lake? No, no, it's Portland. Okay. So Utah picked up a a victory over the Lakers this afternoon in in Los Angeles. They will now face the Golden State Warriors on Tuesday in Utah and then play a back-to-back on Wednesday in Portland. And this this is the one. I, I think it's going to come down to this game. And, you know, Dane put 59 on these guys about just about this time last year. They've beaten us by double digits in Portland. We beat them by double digits in Salt Lake. 
the Jazz are arguably one of the hottest teams in the NBA since since the new year. Oh yeah, they're 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 tough. But again, this is another game where I'm like, Wade Baldwin, you up? <laughs> is Wade Baldwin about to take the Donovan Mitchell challenge? Let's. I mean, if you can guard James Harden, put him on Donovan and just say defense. That's all you. It's all we need you to do. Joe Ingles, don't let Ingles go off. Like, stick to him. Do not let him shoot threes. I think it's about being disciplined. This game. This is all about defensive discipline. You can't let Ingles get these open catch and shoots. You can't let Donovan Mitchell look like the next Dwayne Wade that can hit threes. It's about staying disciplined and being physical. This is this Jazz team is gonna be physical as hell. I. I I think for NBA athletes, running up and down the floor, which they will do against Denver, isn't taxing. But when you're going to fight every single play against a team that's been in a, that, that is desperate for a, you know, a better seed, they're going to be fighting their ass off. That's where it's going to get physical. Our guys are going to be tired as fuck after this game. Like, this is going to be a physical game. So we have to deal with the physicality of a Rudy Gobert, of a Derek Favors, of a Donovan Mitchell, of a Ricky Rubio. So if we're ready for that, I, I like us, if we can handle that physicality. I like the fact that Ed Davis will be back. I like the fact that we'll have Damian Lillard on our side. And I think this this is the night he cements himself as the, the first team All-NBA point guard. It's it's that close that you know everyone's going to be watching this game. This is going to decide. This could decide Portland's home court advantage fate. And I don't want to put too much on one game, but you know Portland doesn't get home court advantage if we don't get out of the first round. Now all of a sudden you're like, hmm, do we break up this team? Do we you know go in a different direction? Do we now keep our draft pick? Do we mm-hmm. you know? What, what do we do? Do we start to look in a different direction? I mean, the narrative is pretty in- intense on these two games. Like, what, how the Blazers are looked at by other people other than us. Like, these other than the Blazers. These term yeah. ramifications. Now, on the other hand, you beat Denver or you beat Utah, you get home court advantage, you get out of that first round, and you then you give Golden State or, or Houston, you give them a little hell. Now you're like, okay, it's it's time to go go all in. You know, Dame's in his prime. CJ's getting in his prime. Like, can we make an offer for Kawhi? What can we do with our first round pick? Can we move it to get more more consistent help? So, without being too too much of a knee jerk reaction, this this these two games, this upcoming postseason, has so many implications for Portland's. For their, for their summer plans, for their for their for their next two to three years, like Neil Shake could come on this podcast and tell me I'm spitting you know smoke out of my ass, but I, I wouldn't buy for a second that, that that's what he's thinking because you can't tell me if we slump into this postseason with our tail between our legs and get handled in the first round that that is going to in any way, shape, or form not impact what he wants to do in the offseason. The way players perform right now in the crunch is how they should be viewed. I've always said that with Alan Crabb, with you know Chief Aminu. If you perform in the postseason, you're a primetime player. You're a guy I want riding with me when the game's on the line. Because that's when the, sh- that's when the light is shining the brightest, and that's when 
you know, the pressure mounts, but we know you're good to go. I, I mean, some people might think it, it we're being crazy about it, but I, I honestly agree with you. This These next two games are fucking important for a lot of things other than looking at what seed we are. There's more implications that go way past it. Uh, before we wrap... I Wait, mean, you never predicted your game. Oh, shit. Um, did you? You go first, my friend. Alright. Alright, I mean, th- this is tough because... Like, my heart's thinking one thing and my brain's thinking another. I think we beat Denver and lose to Utah. Hmm, interesting. I, I, I think we get it done against Utah. Utah's only a 500 team on the road. They're going to be playing the second night of a back-to-back. They're not a particularly deep basketball team. And... We did we did beat them by 19 points in, in their gym. We have the blueprint on how to beat this team. I think we're going to get back. Like, home the home court, yes, I know that advantage has been negated due to technology, due to travel schedules, due to charter planes over the course of, you know, the past 20 years. So I, I know that the actual advantage of playing at home from a physical, you know, perspective isn't what it used to be but mentally it cannot be overstated how Mm -hmm. important playing in front of 20,000 people who have your back who are cheering for you you know Portland we've been a pretty good road team all year but we went into some tough tough gyms you know we we fought valiantly but you know but we took took a couple of L's I I just think that home court advantage is going to be too much Dame is still by far the best player on that court. And when you have that best player in his home gym, I'm going to take my chances with Damian Lillard in Portland 10 times out of 10. I mean, like I'm just thinking of a scenario. Let's say we got home court, we're the third seed, and we're playing Minnesota, who hasn't been in the playoffs, has a young team full of young players that have never been in the playoffs, haven't had that, that, that successful run. Could you imagine how they'd feel with 20,000 screaming Trailblazers fans, how that might affect Wiggins' game or Carl Anthony Towns? I mean, let, let's be real. The, the Trailblazers have affected, like, the, the home crowd gets in Russell Westbrook's head. What is, I mean, and you see it, like, every time he's in the Rose Garden, he's, a, he's an emotional player. Are we really going to negate that possibility? Game one against Memphis, against Minnesota, that our fans don't get in. Carl Anthony said, "Like that, that like it might not happen, but it totally is in the realm of possibility that we can get into somebody's head." And twenty thousand people having your back is a good feeling in any in any scenario. So I think I think it's important. One so question: you, So you've got Portland as the four seed then. Because, yeah, we would lose to Utah in my mind. And then we'd probably play Spurs or uh, New Orleans. Make your prediction. Four uh, seed against... Oh, God damn it! I'm just going to say hell. I'm going to be the most hated motherfucker in Portland. We're playing New Orleans, who's the fifth seed. And, Wrong. Uh, Portland, the three seed. Spurs, the six seed. 
You're I, welcome. <laughs> I love you, buddy. Um, one question before we get out, because I've been seeing it online and stuff like that. What what injury was more impactful for the Trailblazers? Was it the Ed Davis one or was it the Mo Harkless injury? Mo Harkless. I I I I'm I'm on Ed Davis because it. I agree that like, it put it pushes both of our like our backups into, uh, bigger roles. But. Dropping from Ed to Myers and you know that group, I think, is more costly to us than uh, Ed, uh, you know, Wade getting more time and then we going in our three guard lineups. There's more ways that we can attack the teams with the, our three guard lineups than because having... when when we have an engaged Mo Harkless, you're looking at uh, a three and D specialist specialist. You're looking at a player who can guard one through four. He can switch the defense. He puts Evan Turner back, I think, onto the the bench in in a reserve role where he can lead that second unit. You've got a guy who can slash. We do not. I mean, I can't you know emphasize this enough. We do not have very many slashers on this team. We do not have very many finishers on the fast break on this team. Mo Harkless fills both of those voids, and when he's locked in. Like, when he played against OKC, he won us that game. He outperformed Carmelo and Paul George combined. As important as Ed Davis is, during that streak, we were winning games without Ed Davis really putting up huge box score numbers. I think one of the reasons we were winning was how great of performances we were getting from Mo Harkless. And yes, I do think it is, you know, a toss-up. But my gut would say Mo because had we managed it right and played Nurk more, we wouldn't have felt Ed's absence as much if we just would have been like, okay, Nurk, you need to play a little like five more minutes a night, um, give him the ball on offense a little bit more. Um, and I, I do, I do think Myers has played well. I think Zach, Zach is the one missing when when you're looking at um, an Ed Davis, but. I think why I'm saying Mo is we've seen Pat Connaughton get so many extra minutes when he's he's out there killing us sometimes, man. Yeah, but would we have seen the emergence of Wade Baldwin as if Mo Harkless was playing? I think so, especially if Dame you know hurts the ankle, then he's going. I mean, Dame due to the baby birth and the ankle missed two games, and I think regardless, you're going to need another point guard to play. So I think mm. we still would have seen Wade and. To be perfectly honest, as much as I ha- am enjoying the prospect of Wade Baldwin, if you were to say, Dustin, you get to see this potential of Wade Baldwin, or you get Oklahoma City version of Mo Harkless, give me Mo Harkless. Yeah, absolutely. Ab- absolutely. Um, got anything else that you want to say on this uh, show? I mean, I'll either see you this weekend or next. It yeah, seriously. <laughs> God, yeah, man, like, trying to schedule plans with people, it's like, so it could be this day I arrive, or it could be this day, or it could be this day. I have no idea. I'll be able to tell you more on Thursday, right? Like, it's crazy. Um, so I guess I will see you for the postseason preview. Yes, we will be doing an episode right after the Utah game on Wednesday. And you can find this podcast at the usual places. Uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play. Um, all at Holy Backboard. We're also on Dash. And 
on social, Facebook, Twitter, and Insta, at Holy Backboard. Sage, take um, us away. You can check me out on, I think, at, uh, fuck. Nope, nope, nope. You can check me out on uh, you, 2K2. You, miss, you missed your handle. Like, no, you, no, no, no. You, I was going to say. struck out like two, 20 episodes ago. No, I was I was going to promote the 2K Tuesdays, but I was like, <sighs> Stu gets a lot of shout outs. But you, know, you can check me out on Tuesdays uh, on 2K Tuesdays. Check me out on Mixer.com slash Stu Pendus. From 9 to midnight, I try my best to carry. Stu and then a bunch of players that don't know how to play basketball. It's fun. I could talk shit. It's more it's more cash than the Holy Backboard. So check us out there and then uh support Holy Backboard on Twitter. I mean, it's all good. Uh it was great hanging out with you, bud, and uh, I'll see you on Wednesday. Yes. Please, for the love of God, win Blazers win.
Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go.